Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Four Star Podcast. Today's the 21st of February on a Friday just before another cold Chicago weekend. Uh, I, I'm Brian Castle. I'm here with my uh, good companion and friend, Chris Reardon. How's everyone doing out there? Everybody. So Chris Mir- Chris Reardon, for you new podcast listeners, he's a married man. Uh, I get a whole year on the married man jokes, right? He's a newly married man. I think we're going on six months now. So. Okay, I get a whole year. I get a whole... Any food fights yet, Chris? No, you're okay? No food okay. fights Okay, all right. Anyway, uh, Chris is our four-star director of development, and he does a great job. He's a, call him the master of all things portfolio, trading, reports, and servicing advisors and clients. He still loves his Cleveland Indians. He's a caretaker of his golden doodle puppy, Hudson. Chris was raised near the factory of sadness, the home of the not-so-resurgent Cleveland Browns. Glad to be here. And, uh, Welcome. All I have to say is at least we're not the Houston Astros. So <laughs> There you go. No cheating scandal for the Cleveland Browns yet. Uh, I'm Brian Castle, as I mentioned. I'm the founder of uh, and CEO of Four Star Wealth Advisors. I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, and we've had an interesting week with a bankruptcy there uh, to be discussed later. Uh, Charter advisor of philanthropy. I'm an advisor to CEOs and insiders on all their personal issues. I'm chief investment officer also of this firm, but most importantly, I'm dad to Evan and Quinn, two of the most amazing young men in the world, and husband to the amazing Tripti Castle, my princess, uh, fan of the not-so-resurgent Chicago Bears. Mm -hmm. So we just paid the painful bill for tickets this year, so we'll see if they're any better. So um, welcome, everybody, to the podcast. Uh, So today... We're going to talk about our markets and news, and then stay tuned for a really interesting interview with Dave Altig from the Atlanta Federal Reserve. Uh, and uh, Dave is an old friend of Four Star, and uh, we'll get into that later on. Um, Chris, let's talk about the markets. What what do we see right now? Where do we stand? What's our market positioning? Yep. Uh, so right now, uh, no change, I guess you could say, from the, from um, the last podcast. We're all on offense. All our indicators are positive. Um, you know, as far as asset allocation goes, we have seen a little bit of shakeups. Um, domestic equities continues to be strong, still in the, the first position there. And actually, it's been even slowly ticking up a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, international equities still holding strong in the second position. Mm-hmm. It's moved down a couple um, tally scores, I guess you could the tally say. scores, yeah. Mostly due to either the coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. Um, just news that's kind of affected the international world a little bit. Uh, then we have fixed income, which is actually held, I think it's moved up a little bit in that third spot. Then cash and uh, commodities is in the fifth spot. And for those of you that have been listening consistently, uh, commodities used to be in the fourth spot. And going back for like three months, we were talking about commodities possibly overtaking fixed income for the third spot. So kind of a major collapse in the commodities. A lot of that was due to uh, oil, the oil markets, some of the industrial metal markets, and a lot of that was just the effects of the coronavirus or COVID-19 um, on travel, on building, and just, you know, China and several cities in China are on complete shutdown. A lot of companies are closed, are closing there. So um, fears of that are really driving the commodity markets down heavily. Um, I know the oil markets have based, you know, whenever you have a major shock like that that happens, OPEC Plus isn't uh, too far behind coming out saying they're going to cut production or do something to stabilize mm-hmm. the price, um, which has happened. But 
Um, from our asset allocation rankings, it's definitely taken a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in last place is currencies, which, you know, it kind of moves up and down here and there, but it's pretty much been stagnant. Well, yes. And, and so uh, we've talked many times for podcast listeners about how we do relative strength investing. We try to be benchmarks by overweighting in the strongest areas and avoiding the areas of weakness. So relative strength is kicking in. So a lot of the portfolios that are compared to a benchmark uh, we're lagging a little bit in 2019 and are now taking leadership. We're, mm-hmm. we're seeing portfolios three to five points ahead of benchmarks already for the year, which is really interesting. Today's a tough day, yep. uh, more corona news and that kind of thing. Yep. But uh, generally, um, the markets have been positive. We're, we're at 29,000. We're just below that now. Uh, you know, if the trends continue, we'll break 30,000 on the Dow. Even though the Dow isn't the leading index, it's still what people kind of look at, right? Or at least old timers do. Yep. Um, so uh, markets are still generally strong. Um, GDP, the measurement of the economy, last year, 2019, came in at 2.3%. I think we mentioned that in the previous podcast. Although the fourth quarter was a little weaker than the uh, year average of two point, uh, at 21 So we looked at the GDP now, uh, which is published by the Atlanta Fed, and they're still estimating as of the 19th of February, 2.7%. Those numbers will be marked down a little bit with some of the recent news, probably, although the blue chip consensus is less than two, it's 1.6%. So there will be a convergence through the rest of the quarter as more evidence comes out, positive or negative, the blue chip consensus will go higher, the GDP now consensus will probably come in a little bit lower and we'll kind of meet in the middle somewhere unless of course the economy really takes off yep you know it's hard it's hard to tell and so they do they track it mid-quarter uh so uh, but the key is that no one's saying the economy is going to be negative so we're still not looking at recession right exactly and, and we've talked about this uh in the past that you know even if we do see a slight deceleration that's not kind of unheard of that's probably actually what a lot of people are expecting mm-hmm. um and especially this first quarter, um, you know, depending on where they come in, maybe it comes a little bit below 2% or something or around 2% as they kind of converge on mm-hmm. that center point. Uh, there are a couple hurdles the U.S. will have to overcome, one being uh, the coronavirus um, that is going to have an effect. I mean, just less mm-hmm. travel, there's less tourism going on, there, there's just a lot that, that's going to impact. And then the other thing is, um, this is the first quarter that Boeing has halted production on the 737 MAX. Um, Boeing is a massive company, and it, there are several companies that feed it. There, there, it has a major impact on, on the uh, U.S. market. So um, that halting could, in the short term at least, draw down that GDP number two. So there's a couple, you know, not long term, it's really no health check, I guess, on the U.S. market. It's just, you know, the company's uh, problems that it's trying to address, as well as, you know, the, the health scare going on right now uh, with the coronavirus. So yeah. we could see it coming a little less at no fault to the U.S. market, just out of, like, you know, side effects almost from the from. I, I heard one strategist say that the coronavirus issue, um, while obviously any any single death in a, in a uh, pandemic like that, uh, is a problem, uh, but they're saying it might be a, not a black swan, but a gray goose, uh, essentially. But now we're seeing a little bit more uh, activity than people thought. Uh, the number of deaths are increasing, but the leading indicator, the deceleration of new cases is key. <clears throat> Excuse me, hopefully that continues. So a pullback in the market here would easily make sense because of the concerns of this, although we really haven't seen much more than a couple percent down from the high. 
uh, unless this trend you know, last two days continues, we'll see. So um, hopefully it is a gray goose and not a black swan. And we've seen this trend. I mean, if you go back the last three weeks, I feel like it's a broken record. You know, some news yeah. comes out. I think last week it was that the 10,000 unreported cases and they adjusted it. So it spiked up the number and the market threw a little tantrum, one to mm. two day tantrum, and then kind of eased back out. So <coughs> it's been kind of occurring. Um, one other kind of side effect of that that we've seen is uh, the price of gold has hit all-time highs again. Mm -hmm. So Gold's the only commodity working. It's another yeah. byproduct. Whenever you get fears of a war or, you know, some virus, mm -hmm. some destabilizing event that, you know, apocalypse prophecy people like to kind of pronounce is going to end the world, you see the spike in gold. You yeah. know, you see this flight to safety, this flight to, you know, a hard currency or a hard um, <coughs> object with value. So... Well, and the Fed, the Fed's been doing some interesting thing with numbers to do these predictions, and they've been finding actually a lot of the private data from, uh, you know, the first data and some of the other employment companies is pretty accurate. So uh, the Fed is now using some of their data as well and got permission to use it. They've always calculated their own data, but the, a lot of that data is converging, so they're getting better and getting more accurate, I think, at predicting mm -hmm. the economy. Um, you know, in the last three years of this new administration, uh, of course, the president is out there saying, you know, he's the best, everything's the best, and he's the best, and all that. Um, and that's just his bravado. But the economic record uh, for the first three years has been actually one of the best economic records in American history, uh, reducing regulations. The tax cut helped, but I think the regulations actually caused more uh, up upside, and essentially pulling sand out of the gears and letting him move faster, with that analogy. Uh, so... Um, you know, one of the big mistakes administration is making, we think, is the deficits and, and national debt were up to $23 trillion, and that's going to come back to haunt us. So they've got to deal mm -hmm. with that. I think the, uh, the other twin tower of debt we were talking about before, the college debt, will, you know, obviously it's a, a big issue for some college students, but it'll be less of an overall economic issue, where the national debt would be a big issue. Well, depending on, I guess, who gets elected and who, who gets the right. nominee, it could be a major issue with yeah. some uh, people floating, you know, getting rid of the debt or, you know, college debt and stuff. I mean, there's some crazy yeah. ideas going out there. But there's a lot of a lot of economists out there with opinions and, and, you know, there does tend to be, unfortunately, in this environment, this high charge environment, a lot of economists who, you know, have political views. And even though they're smart economists, uh, they're looking, you know, for... Uh, 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 either a positive if they're positive or a negative, and they kind of drive that that way. Paul Krugman, the famous uh, Nobel Prize winning economist in New York, finally admitted he was wrong about the Trump economy. Uh, that you know, and he corrected his mistake and just admitted it. Uh, but that's just a sense of how sometimes both ways, up and down, even good economists, smart Nobel Prize winning economists, mm -hmm. can let their biases override the the numbers. Right. So just by the raw numbers ignoring that circus in Washington and the give and take and we love Trump, we hate Trump, whatever it might be, uh, the economy has actually been pretty good the mm -hmm. last three years. So, um, and, and, the, and the public is measuring it by, uh, by telling the economists in surveys, 60% of pe people feel better off than they were before. That's a general question. You feel better off now than you were before, meaning like last year. 60% of people are saying yes to that. And right now, 70% of the people surveyed think that next year, meaning 2020, will be better than last year. So um, that will show up in confidence surveys. So people feel generally confident about the economy, and that's a good thing. 
Well, and I think we've, we've talked about it in the past that, you know, the jobs reports have come in and they've been, you know, really strong jobs reports. The jobless rate is, um, you know, at all time low. So, you know, when you have, I think that's kind of the foundation of that confidence. When you have someone that can find a job, can, you know, work and get reliably, get work and feed his family and, you know, go on those vacations and, you know, people, people start, you know, building that confidence and I, you know, it, it builds on it, you know, mm-hmm. from each year and each year and month and a month. And I think, yeah, you know, we're, we're in a good spot right now, um, you know, and we'll just kind of see. I mean, we don't know where we'll be next month or next year, that, that's for sure. But, you know, I think right now with what we can see, uh, we're in a pretty good spot. So the net-net is we're on offense in the markets and the economy is still pointing upward. There's certainly things on the horizon that could take it down. Uh, we'll just keep watching it very, very closely and see where it all goes. Uh, but a lot of interesting little news items that we wanted to highlight, Chris. Uh, something about the garlic market. Yeah. So another side effect of um, the coronavirus in China, um, a lot of people don't know this, but China actually supplies uh, roughly 80% of the global market for garlic. Uh, and with the disruptions going on uh, with the coronavirus in the Chinese mainland, um we are going to see a major disruption to that China or to that garlic supply. Um, with that, we're going to see probably increased prices of garlic at you know the grocery store, um, so on and so forth. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, there's a lot of variables depending on how long this lasts. If it keeps getting drawn out, six, seven, eight months, it's the, just gonna. The Italian restaurants are in mourning now, right? They're yeah. probably trying to start the garlic <laughs> gardens in the back of the restaurants now. And watch out for vampires, everyone. With a lot of garlic. <laughs> so, uh, another interesting news item that I thought was important to just mention: a lot of our listeners uh, grew up in America. Obviously, most of our listeners did, and uh, most. Most, most folks have been to a mall or they grew up going to a mall or there's a whole mall culture. Mall developer Simon Properties out of Indianapolis is buying another very big mall developer, Taubman Centers. And uh, they also uh, purchased Forever 21, the big retailer. So they're trying to keep some of the malls going. Our, our tastes have changed. Our, our patterns have changed with Amazon and other online purchasing we're not going to malls as much we're not going to hard you know hard uh, brick and mortar stores or brick and mortar malls mm-hmm. but they obviously see an opportunity there are certain malls in America that are still doing very well so they're buying essentially real estate and and in buying at a discount I might add so they're not premium prices but they're still controlling the malls that are there uh, they're using that big platform there's a lot of professional associations, uh, seniors doing daily exercise and mall walkers. There's other uses for malls, so they're repurposing malls in a lot of different ways, and no one would know how to do that better than Simon Property. They're one of the biggest out there, of course. I remember in 1971 when Yorktown Mall in Lombard, Illinois opened up. I was 10 years old, and we thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, but um, you know, now uh, you know, the world changed. Yeah, um, Amazon and a lot of online retailers. It's just a different world. It is a different world. And, and uh, as part of that new world, for, for about 25 years, many Chicagoans have been able to have grocery delivery on Peapod. Yeah. And uh, a lot of Chicagoans specifically uh, have, uh, have uh, you know, uh, um, a little bit of mourning over Peapod uh, ceasing operations in the last week. So we'll be ordering on Amazon Fresh and other quicker, faster competitors because Peapod made you order the next day. So same-day delivery is now the thing. And so Amazon's going to be uh, our new uh, grocery delivery. How about that? 
but you know, once in a while, it's still nice to just go to a store, go to a food store. I, I will once in a while sneak out and go to Nordstrom's and look at clothes and smell the store and all that kind of stuff. But maybe you just don't do it as much. Yeah, there's right. always going to be that market. Um, you know, the, like you said, feel good, see if it fits. I mean, clothing. You know, there, there's a lot of different goods that it's not not necessary, but you know, it just it's comforting to be able to see it and feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing with going to like Best Buy with electronic goods, get experts' opinions on it. There, there's a lot of you know complexity with electronics that you, you may not understand and get their opinions, thoughts, and also see it, you know, mm-hmm. because that 70 inch big screen TV you bought on Amazon and didn't realize is as big as a 70 inch screen TV. You're like, mm-hmm. if you saw it in the store, you may think, oh, well, that probably won't fit above our fireplace or <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. So. So in the, in the department of new trends, uh, Chris, talk about space tourism. Yeah, so uh, man, Virgin Galactic, uh, people are kind of speculating that this is going to be the next, uh, the next Tesla, or the I guess and what I mean by that is the next major run-up from a stock. It's actually up 309% over the last three months. A major small cap uh, stock, though. Um, you know, their big product, I guess, is space tourism, you know, launching mm-hmm. shuttles into you know, space where the people can float for, you know, whatever, an hour. I don't think they've actually launched anything yet. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's, it is still a very, very theoretical company, I guess you could say, you know, still very conceptual. Um, obviously, it does have the Virgin brand. It does have a lot of power behind it. Uh, but there are other companies that are trying to do it, notably SpaceX and Blue Origin. Blue Origin's um, um, Google, I think, it, is it Google or Amazon? I can't I think it's Google's uh, founders, uh, Blue Origin. Uh, and SpaceX is obviously uh, Elon Musk um, mm-hmm. and his company. So there's, a, there's some competitors out there, but um, I know, I think it was last year that Virgin Galactic made headlines as IPOing as one of the first kind of IPO space, you know, rocket companies. Um, and now it's starting to finally see a major run-up. So we'll, well maybe Four Star can open a branch office on Mars before the regulators get there. Okay, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, uh, Chris mentions uh, technology, so everyone's been watching this uh, short squeeze in Tesla. Tesla stock has gone parabolic, and uh, it makes me think of uh, AOL in 1999. Uh, makes me think of two year, two and a half years ago, Bitcoin uh, started uh, three years ago. Started running up uh, this this time. Three years ago, so um, you know you got to be careful when these things happen. We have a number of clients that have been trading in and out of these names, and uh, we wish everybody luck. It's going to be a wild ride, but clearly Tesla has gotten the fancy of the public at some level uh, with electric cars and, and their ability to bring technology to the people. So mm-hmm. uh, it's exciting times. Um, one other uh, just comment about uh, international. Uh, we mentioned uh, space tourism and international markets. Nissan is discussing now opening plants in the UK because France and Germany are still negative interest rates and slow economies. So maybe the Brexit thing was right for the UK after all, right? Yeah. Uh, people are seeing an opportunity to grow in the UK. Um, you know, uh, so so EU is still hurting. And the rest of the continental still still hurting, but maybe maybe uh, the United Kingdom will grow faster than the rest of the continent, and maybe other country company countries will leave the EU and stuff. I don't know. We'll see how that all plays out, but it's certainly interesting over there. 
we've long said that the European Union uh, created a political union, but not a real monetary union because they didn't control debt issuance. They may have had the same currency, but the currency is out without credibility unless you can, tr can control debt issuance. And they never controlled that, and that's why things are breaking down. Mm -hmm. So countries like Greece or Portugal can take on massive debts, and then the rest of the society has to take care of it. So if they get a hold of that, they finally get the religion to do that, then maybe they'll have a good solid currency. But for right now, it's still structured wrong. And it's tough whenever you have, um, you know, there's multiple economies tied to a single currency. Basic, you know, when you take kind of economics 101, you learn that when a country's struggling, their their currency tends to devalue. So they export more goods because it's cheaper in other countries. And that kind of props up their mm -hmm. currency and kind of the opposite if your country is really strong. Like the dollar's been, the dollar's been on a tear, then our goods are... are um, Foreign goods tend to be cheaper here. Our goods tend to be more expensive in other countries. So mm -hmm. it kind of, it's almost it throttles it back. So, um, you know, it, it's hurt countries like Greece, countries like Italy. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. And this is, it's going to be really interesting to see the deals that come out of this Brexit, what the final, what it looks like, because mm -hmm. the EU certainly wants to make uh, um, kind of a, uh, not a scapegoat, but they want to make a statement with, with Brexit, with what the UK did. Um, because they don't want to incentivize Italy or Greece or some of these other small countries to do the same thing. Peel off, bring back their old currencies. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens, what's the end formula that looks like with Brexit. Well, and as, uh, as long as the dollar stays strong, I'll put up uh, my commercial, go see the world, travel. Uh, we went to Br Brazil and Argentina over the, over the Christmas, uh, New Year's holidays. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything was a lot cheaper. <laughs> it was really, it was a cheap vacation to go to uh, South America. So anyway, um, it's a good time to travel. So that's all we have from news today. A couple little last items from the page of the book, uh, Better Late Than Never, uh, rock and roller uh, Keith Richards of the, of the Rolling Stones at, I believe, age 76, uh, just announced that he's lost interest in drugs and alcohol. I guess he quit mostly drinking a few years ago, but I guess... I guess there's a time for everyone, so check all the liquor stocks and uh, short them because uh, Keith Richards isn't imbibing it. You know the, the prices are going down. Anyway, um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, this is gonna, you know, we're starting to see the announcements of concert season. That's become a very big thing. More and more concerts mm -hmm. every year as all the old rockers keep touring around. We've seen the Stones a couple times. Uh, and they're trying to fill their 401ks because they've blown through all the retirement <laughs> money, I guess, on drugs and alcohol or whatever whatever else they were doing. So uh, it's, it should be a lot of fun. It's a big part of the economy now is all the big concert tours. Yep. Um, and one last commercial. A lot of the four-star uh, clients uh, and friends of four-star received an email about doing IRA contributions. So all, all four-star all, all four friends who are listening to the podcast this is the time to make sure you did your last year IRA contribution and do your IRA contribution for this year. Uh, and also check your plans. This is the season when we do reviews mm -hmm. with everyone to make sure we look at what happened last year, make sure we're in line with a long-term plan. You'll have a good year, you'll have a bad year, whatever in the market. But if you have a long-term plan, they'll kind of uh, do moving averages and minimize all the risk in your in your portfolio. Uh, but this season is the IRA contribution season and review season. So everybody take a look at your plans and make sure you have a good handle on it. So that's all we got. Everybody uh, stay tuned now for the interview with uh, Atlanta Fed Chief Dave Altick. 
Well, hey, everybody, we're, we're back uh, here with the Four Star Podcast, and we're uh, delighted and honored to have a special guest with us here this afternoon, and his name is Mr. David Altig. Uh, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. David is, uh, for full disclosure, uh, is the Chief of Research of the Atlanta Federal Reserve, and uh, I met Dave uh, years ago when I was actually one of his students at the University of Chicago in the MBA program, and uh, he, he graciously passed me through his class. Um, but but uh, David David had gone on to be the chief of research of the Atlanta Fed, and uh, many many of our listeners know that the, the Federal Reserve uh, has many different functions that Dave will tell us about, calculating CPI, uh, man, helping manage the economy in a lot of different ways. So again, Dave, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Glad to come. Uh, so Dave, you're at the Atlanta Fed, and the Atlanta Fed is quoted, I think, more often than any Fed bank. Um, and, and it's quite an honor to your work, and you guys do a lot of research work. What's the latest thing you're working on in research uh, that could help the economy? So we, I, I w- guess I would say that one of the um, missions that we've taken on as part of the research department at Atlanta Fed is to provide the public sort of useful tools um, that can help them sort of keep track of the economy, understand the economy, uh, and so on. Uh, in a nutshell, anything that we find useful, we try to make available to the public in, um, uh, in a seamless and easy to use way as we can. Mm-hmm. So we actually do have uh, uh, an app that you can get. So just nice. go to the App Store, uh, okay. plug in uh, the um, FedNow app at the Atlanta Fed, okay. and uh, you'll have access to all these sort of tools, including whatever the latest, greatest mm-hmm. thing uh, we're, we're working on. Um, nice. Yep. Nice. Well, and, and, and I see a lot, of the, a lot of the work you have out there now, and you have the GDP Now tool yep. and some of the other things. So uh, we just recently here, we're taping this in Reno, Nevada, where we just had a luncheon with some four-star clients and then also a policy uh, meeting earlier today. And we talked a little bit about the economy. I wonder if you could share with our listeners what you see for the economy for this year. Yeah, so I, um, uh, you know, our job on the staff of the Atlanta Fed is to provide our best thinking to the president, uh, uh, Raphael Bostic, the Atlanta Fed. and. Um, we spend an awful lot of our time uh, doing just that, and um, basically, if we think about the picture for 2020, um, we don't expect it will be materially different than 2019, mm-hmm. which was a year. I mean, I think when you add everything up, uh, of reasonable growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not uh, you know really rapid growth, but uh, slightly above kind of maybe the long-term normal rate. Mm -hmm. Um, Good consumer spending growth, um, fairly weak business uh, investment growth, um, uh, and then a kind of the trade wild card. um, Right, right. uh, So we don't really expect uh, this narrative to change much Mm -hmm. uh, in 2020. So if you liked 2019, you'll probably like 2020. Uh, and if you didn't like 2019, well, then we've got some work to do. So it looks like a little more of the same, you think, possibly? I think more of the same. There's nothing that really is sending signals to us. Of course, it's very early right. in the year, but nothing is sort of sending signals of any dramatic change in the trajectory okay. uh, of things. 
Well, that's good because actually 2019 wasn't a bad year for most people, yeah. so so that's not bad. Well, good. Uh, you know, we alluded to the trade issue, mm -hmm. and in a previous meeting earlier today, we had a full discussion about this. Where, um, you know, clearly we went on for 30, 40 years with uh, an ethic and a kind of motivation that we were free traders in America, and we would we would drop our drop our borders and let people import and, and not have tariffs and everything. And then the new president comes in and he changes everything because he thinks people aren't playing fair with us. And so, you know, the idea is that's supposed to help the economy long term, but has it helped the economy till now? Well, so I, you know, I think the, the uh, reasonable way to think about uh, trade is um, there were clearly some issues that um, I think were commonly acknowledged. Um, you know, how we kind of promote the protection of intellectual property, particularly vis-a-vis -vis China. Mm -hmm. um, the NAFTA mm -hmm. uh, sort of needed to be updated. It, you know, was a fairly old piece of legislation or a fairly old treaty at this point, well before sort of the tech revolution had taken yeah. taken place yeah. so there were definitely some um, um, issues to confront um, as it turned out they were uh, part of the package that the administration and Congress decided on to some extent uh, um, part of the um, approach involved tariffs mm -hmm. I think it's also then widely uh, acknowledge that those uh, tariffs had some impact uh, on the growth rate. I don't think anybody thinks they were especially outsized. Like a negative, like a negative. Impact. Well, certainly did not throw us into. Didn't help us that much. Didn't, it, yeah. Well, no, I mean, they were caught. I mean, it took some points off of GDP. Right. Uh, fairly mod modestly, uh, I think, but still, um, GDP growth likely would have been somewhat higher than it was had it not. Uh, um, uh, been for the tariffs. Now, whether or not that's just part of the process and part of the trade-offs that were necessary to actually address, um, I mean, that's not a um, that's not an issue for the Fed uh, to politics. deliberate. Right, um, right. It, well, it's it, politics, and politics even in the best sense, which is basically kind of collectively uh, through the ballot box and through mm -hmm you know, our own influence on our elected officials, you know, need to determine mm -hmm. what the appropriate trade-offs are. Mm -hmm. So nothing, even things that are worthwhile are costless, and it's just trying to find the sweet spot where, the, you know, cost and benefits are aligned mm -hmm. is the conversation that we've been having with trade, and it's the one we're going to continue to have. Yeah. You know, a lot of our listeners remember the days of quantitative easing and and you had mentioned earlier how in 2008, when things were falling apart and the big crisis happened, that the quantitative easing to get the stimulate the economy was intentional. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we pulled back from that, right, and we stopped some of the quantitative easing. So do you think the Fed will do more quantitative easing going forward if the economy slows down? Is that a new tool or is that more of a catastrophic tool that we'll so, use in a crisis? So I, I think the way you were sort of describing that is appropriate. Um, it is a tool that the United uh, that the Federal Reserve has now in its um, in its kit for addressing um, uh, problems. Uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, Federal Open Market Committee in particular, is going through a framework review where they're revisiting sort of all the questions about what's appropriately the tools we should use, mm -hmm. how we should use them. 
So I want to be um, somewhat careful about front running that conversation. Um, but it's been made fairly clear in, in um, statements mm -hmm. and communications at this point that for now, um, it is, um, it's the view of the committee that the primary tool of monetary policy is the federal funds rate, um, mm -hmm. kind of conventional monetary policy, if you will, and that will remain so. Now, there's always the possibility that if there is a um, downturn uh, in the economy, which I'm certainly not projecting, but if there was one, um, you know, the, the possibility of uh, once again having interest rates down at zero is large. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, in those circumstances, we have the toolkit that we use when um, previously the, the zero bound had been hit, mm -hmm. and that includes quantitative easing. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. You know, another interesting thing that you had mentioned uh, this morning uh, to some of the people who were with us in the meeting, you talked about just the way the Federal Open Market Committee meets every month and they make a decision, they're going to raise interest rates, stay steady, do whatever. Then there's different meetings going on. Tell us about how all that works. It's uh, you, you're there, the, the, the presidents are in another room, or how does all that work? No, no, no. So all the presidents and governors sort of get together, um, uh, and, you know, they have uh, um, uh, on the agenda, you know, a couple actually pretty simple things usually. Um, one is to get some review of what is happening at, in financial markets, mm -hmm. and that's reported out by the people who manage the... Uh, Federal Reserve's portfolio uh, out of the New York Fed. Um, sometimes there are some decisions to be made about mm -hmm. the management of, of of that portfolio. Sometimes not so many decisions to be made, but mm -hmm. that's certainly an important part of what the committee does. Those meetings, yeah. Um, a very large part of the meeting is um, all of the currently 17 people who are there um, share their views with one another on the state of the economy, where they think the economy's going, mm. um, you know, the things that they're worried about, where the risks are and what the balance of risk are on um, the um, uh, objectives of employment and price stability. Um, and that's a very large part where they're sharing, the meeting where they're sharing this information that often, particularly in the reserve banks, they get from talking to real people, mm -hmm. uh, making real business decisions and getting their input. So it's really sort of where Main Street gets communicated to, to, to the committee. And then, of course, there's a policy decision at some point. On um, interest rates. Typically on interest rates, mm -hmm. but of course, if you're in a scenario where you're, um, there's um, uh, quantitative easing or f um, f communications <clears throat> uh, become an important part of the, uh, of the policy decision, that would be discussed as well. Okay. It's interesting. Uh, lately, we've seen a lot of bad behavior amongst our public officials. The president's always mocking people, arguing out loud versus the House Speaker, and the House Speaker's ripping up the speech and all the things that have been going on. Uh, what are those meetings like, Dave? Are they pretty genteel, or is there any bickering? Is there 
food fights? Uh, um, you know? No, they're, they're um, um, of course, I probably wouldn't say otherwise, but I mean, I mean they're very civil. This is a, okay. a, you know, these, these are... So there's still know, some civility left in our government, right? They're so. not only civil, I would say not only civility, there's actually functionality. That's I mean, great. There's, um, I mean, there's a group of people who um, are blessedly apolitical. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an institution which is blessedly apolitical. We try not to get into... Mm-hmm kind of just you know fights and discussions that are not <laughs> taken very 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 seriously yeah. um and it's a you know it's an exchange of ideas uh you know there are dissents sometimes sometimes so they are not uh of of, a, of one mind all the time mm-hmm. about uh, the policy decisions or even about their views of where the economy is at um but everyone walks away friends that's nice no my sense is from watching you in class and watching you over the years that that uh, there's uh, a little more thought, a little bit more adult behavior, certainly at the Fed, than some of our recent public officials. But uh, anyway, no comment. <laughs> no comment on that. Of course, no. This is not about politics. Anyway, um, so a couple other things that that our uh, clients are asking us, and and certain listeners have, have uh, emailed into us. You know, this recent coronavirus has uh, really. Uh, the markets were heading to new highs. The economy was seemed to be growing fine. All of a sudden, boom, then we have sloppy markets for a while. W- what do we make of this coronavirus? Can it affect the American economy? Yeah, so, you know, the, there's the old statement uh, uh, about the known unknowns, and this is a known unknown. I mean, I think, um, um, you know, I'm not a public health expert or an epidemiologist or doctor. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, a different kind of doctor. <laughs> okay, right. Um, and uh, you know, I think it, you know, I think the, the most intelligent thing you can say at this point is you don't really know. Right. Um, um, so far, uh, you know, this the the spillover, you know, is not apparent, but uh, it's it's relatively contained. Yeah. Uh, for, for for the moment, as far as anyone knows, but you know, several Federal Reserve officials have been out kind of commenting, and uh, you know, making this point, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's it's just too early, way too early to say. Yeah. So, um, in the way that you know, those of us who are asked to forecast uh, the the likely path of the economy kind of tend to manage these things, mm-hmm. is uh, don't factor in something you're not pretty certain about. But when you know that there are those known unknowns, then you kind of, you know, want to communicate that, you know, it represents a risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a shame for all the people involved uh, with this. And certainly the Chinese have got a lot to deal with. And hopefully it doesn't spread. So anyway, our our thoughts are with all those people. A couple of other thoughts that people have been concerned about that I wanted to ask you about, Dave. So I can remember back in in the 90s when I was the... Chicago chairman of the nonpartisan or bipartisan Concord Coalition, mm-hmm. and we were dealing with issues of national debt. We talked earlier about how everybody seemed to get along about the fact that the national debt wasn't a good thing. We had a debt clock at $5 trillion at that time, and there was an ethic that we're going to not increase our debt. Now we're at $23 trillion. The Obama administration added $10 trillion, and then everyone thought the new administration would, would fix what Obama didn't do right, and they're doing just as much or, or worse. Right? So now we're at $23 trillion on the national debt. What could that do to our economy if that blows, blows wide open? 
Uh, well, so there's a, uh, I mean, I, this is another one of those, well, who, who sort of knows what the scenario that would yeah. play out. Yeah. I, I do think that there is general um, uh, acknowledgement of the fact that the path that we're on is not sustainable. Yeah. Some adjustment is going to have to take place at some time. Uh, and I think there's also sort of general acknowledgement that the near-term um, impact is negligible. Um, uh, the good news about that is, is that it gives you time to be thoughtful about how you're going to ad uh, address the imbalances uh, and the way uh, mm -hmm. you, you address them. The bad news is that you tend to ignore things that don't seem to be a particular problem in the, mm -hmm. you know, right, right in front of you on the road and then you can allow things to, uh, you know, build to, to bigger and bigger to problems. To get out of control. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think the most plausible, um, um, you know, worst case scenario would be um, you know, something like a rapid rise in yields if mm -hmm. uh, people in the world, uh, the global economy, decided these weren't the kind of instruments they wanted, you know, treasury debt. It's not the sort of instruments they wanted. It was not favored, right. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, you know, that would be a cost mm -hmm. uh, to the treasury and it would be a cost to private decision makers mm -hmm. uh, in the economy. And that could be a difficult thing to deal with. So yeah. um, it's certainly better to try to kind of find a, uh, an e as easy a path to an inevitable transition to bring things back into balance. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the debt has to shrink, right? Uh, even relative uh, to GDP, but it does have to stop growing faster. Stop growing up, yeah. yeah. Well, and this administration came in with a lot of policies that have turned out to be good economic policy, uh, you, know, you know, not speaking about the politics of it, but that's an area that they've let kind of uh, keep growing in, in a negative way. It's, it, well, it's grown. That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, I for won't, sure. For, for better or worse, however you want it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, right. that's my view, right. Uh, the, the other one, and I think we talked about this earlier, is the student debt. And so while uh, it's about a trillion and a half now, all the, un, all the student loans that are out there that are being paid off, um, but it's affecting certain families, and there's a lot of talk about it. It seems to be getting more talk than it might uh, based on the number of people that are involved. Um, what do you think about the, you know, the massive amounts of student debt out there? So, um, you know, I don't think it's something to ignore, um, and I, you know, I do think it's something that needs to be continually monitored and, and um, um, you know, addressed to the degree that it's creating stress in certain places. I, I think it's, it could be easy to overstate uh, because it's a big scary number and it involves right. a lot of people and it can't easily be discharged and right. Right. those sorts of things. Um, uh, the evidence that it is driving a lot of behavior that we uh, w w might feel is problematic, like um, inability to to get into home ownership among certain cohorts, yeah. Yeah. or the likelihood of widespread defaults. That maybe is not quite as big as the you know if you just took the numbers at face value. Uh, for one thing, the distribution of the debt is uh, is skewed towards people who you know incurred a lot of debt to uh, to enter very highly paid mm -hmm. uh, occupations, and so 
um, you know, are likely able to manage uh, that debt. Uh, the biggest concern at this point, I think, has been uh, um, to allow easy access and encumberment um, uh, for individuals who are, you know, engaging in investments that are poor, that is, you know, paying for educational programs that aren't really returning uh, the income that will allow them to s sustain the debt. So like taking on big debt for degrees with very low wage. Exactly right, right, right that. Right, right. Uh, okay. Or okay. very low prospects or right. Right. in institutions that may not be serving their purposes and job, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the usual rules of debt apply yeah. here, which yeah. is, you you know, incurring debt itself is not the problem. It's what you do right. uh, with, uh, with the debt with you, you incurred. Right. Um, so, you know, I think the, you know, the bottom line of all of that is there are lots of reasons to kind of be thinking hard about it by thinking of ways to address it as a, uh, a financial stability threat to the mm -hmm. economy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's kind of the, the high probability of, um, of, of outcomes. Well, that's good to hear. Hopefully it doesn't get any worse. Um, well, thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. I, I know that the chairman uh, now, uh, because some of the changes in recent years, goes out and gets takes the podium and talks to the public. Yeah. And they didn't do that for a long time. Yes. Uh, and they give their messages to the public. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, uh, if, if there is one message you could give four-star listeners and the general public uh, from the Fed uh, today, what, what would it be? Um, so it would be, first and foremost, uh, to recognize that, you know, we are an apolitical institution and, uh, you, know, we're, you know, the Federal Reserve is going to remain that way. Um, and that um, it really is the case that through just exactly the sort of things that you mentioned, uh, the you know efforts by Chairman Powell to get out into the uh, in, in, into the public and show a, a face to the public through the Federal Reserve banks, which spend a great deal of their time out in the community. We're taking your voices um, in an apolitical way right. uh, to Washington, so that we can do the best job that we can do. Um, to 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 serve to serve you know you and manage the economy exactly well, yeah, yeah. that's about the way only way we can serve you the best <laughs> you can, the best way you can yeah. well great it's the way Congress to, told us you got it it's an honor to have you with us and thanks again and uh, we look forward to the next visit uh, with you Dave on the Four Star Podcast okay everybody well that's it for the podcast today special thanks to Dave Altig for sitting uh, to an interview with us. We're traveling the country with Dave at a couple other locations. We'll be hitting Wilmington, Delaware on February 26th and Boston uh, for some Fed sessions there as well. So uh, again, thanks to Dave and thanks for everybody for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another four-star podcast. <laughs>